The Devin Townsend Podcast once again is presented by Inside Out Music. And this month's featured release is by a band called Whom Gods Destroy. Their album's called Insanium. Listen to this, all heavy and progressive and grammatically correct. Whom Gods Destroy, Insanium. All right, another one in the continuing process of learning how to communicate with other human beings in a musical format. Devin Townsend Podcast, what episode is this? One of them. This month, I'm uh, very proud to have been able to interview someone who I can now call a friend, which is fantastic because he's one in eight billion, I guess as we all are, but the one that he is is uh, significantly most more interesting to me than most. Mike Keneally. Mike is... If you go to his Wikipedia, Wikipedia page, you will see all the things that he's been involved with, which is too much to list here. But this is how I would describe Mike. I've met a lot of people in my life, or at least a handful of people in my life, that I think are just shockingly brilliant... But most of them are dicks. I don't know what it is. It's like they use their intelligence to make other people feel uh, bad or worse than them or just condescending in some sense. But Mike is like this super genius that uses his powers for good. (laughs) He's just such an incredible musician in so many, It's you know, He's Mike Keneally. So, here. It's Mike Keneally. Cheers. Can you hear me? Yes, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, man. <laughs> we have passed the first two tests. That's great. <laughs> These are the easiest of the tests. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How you doing? Peachy. Yeah, How nice. I'm good, too. I feel like I, I'm frustrated um, just because everything's almost set up, but it's not quite. So there's just, you get into this, this like flow where you're able to start to write or just relax or get into your own thoughts. But then there's always things to deal with. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's like, yeah, of course, someone ringing or someone coming to the door. And, uh, and, uh, it's just, I think it's a real specific type of frustration too. Where you're just like, I give up. Oh no. <laughs> oh, that that's, that's your response after three of them. After th- after three interruptions or yeah. or barriers, that's yeah. that's okay. The 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 frustration also includes the fact that it's technically been functional since the beginning. Okay, so right, right. Uh huh. It's been able to uh, um, proceed with some degree of efficiency, but but just just the amount less that makes it satisfying. But uh, yeah. mm-hmm. we're almost there, man. We're almost okay. there. Yeah, you get it. You get it. Well, thanks for doing this, brother. Yeah, of course. I um uh I'd love to start by uh sort of giving the mission statement for this, which essentially is in the process of of trying to figure out my where I've landed and where I'm at creatively for the next bout of material. I've been using this podcast with uh brilliant people such as yourself to shed light on it not only for my own edification but for everybody else that is watching this as well because i think the stumbling blocks are pretty pretty much across the board i think everybody has similar right. issues mm-hmm. everybody i've had a chance to to interview is has had a real specific uh skill set and having had the privilege of working with you for the past few years your improvisational skills are something that i just i can't wrap my head around and i'd love to pick your brain on that to start with. okay that's that could be uh instructive for me also because it's that's not a thing i i ever really analyze so I'm, I'm, maybe you'll pull something out that will surprise me as well or by the end of it we just won't be able to do it anymore <laughs> <laughs> exactly oh no i haven't <laughs> thought about it too much <laughs> yeah well, i think that's you know maybe that's the answer i might be looking for mm. So the first question is just to set up this conversation. Um, what was your first memory 
of falling in love with music that's that's interesting the the first thing that that comes to mind is is the beatles uh because you know i was born at just the right time for for that to to hit me hard when i was very very young but i also know that there was some pre-beatles um like kids uh tv music that 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 got me uh real big um but i would have to say this the first stuff that i got really sort of obsessive about to a degree that was annoying and a distraction to the people around me was the was the beatles and uh and that came from having a a, a teenage sister in the in the mid and late 60s who was you know very strongly affected by beatlemania and collected a bunch of the records but then at the point that the beatles got weird or too weird for her uh she uh, gave up on them and and i inherited all of her beatles records and memorabilia and uh and i fell in love uh to a degree that was uh you know life-changing uh so that I'd, I'd i'd have to point at that and and actually it's definitely like a love that's endured to the present moment do you remember the the moment and the song well i think that i i remember like a lot of people uh hearing i want to hold your hand uh, on the on the radio which in the united states that was sort of like the flashpoint that was that was the the moment of, of magic that for a lot of people and i just remember it having a, a sound and a texture and a feeling that was unlike anything else i'd experienced and it's also interesting because all of their records w were remastered and and sometimes remixed for american release as compared to the to the original uk releases and there's actually something about the American mastering of these things that's ju just like a, it's in some ways maybe more two dimensional, but but because of that, it, it like it, it hits you even more squarely in the center of your head and, and your sensibilities. It really was like an explosion from another galaxy or something. Uh, so I, I, I would have to point at that, uh, that particular song. And and I was probably five or six when I when I heard it uh, for the first time, and realized that that something had changed in in me and in the world. Could you define in hindsight what it was about that that piece of music? Like what was the what was the component to it that made it so different from what you had heard prior? It's anytime you you gather a group of musicians and 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 they just and they decide okay we are now a group, that group is is the sum total of what those four music the the sound that those four musicians produce or as as Brian Beller puts it uh, each each musician's note every musician has their note. Uh, which is, you know, sort of a, a microcosmic way of, of describing just the, the, the sound, the texture of the sound, the shape, the, 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 the content of the sound that any musician produces. So it just so happened that, that the sound of, of both their instruments in combination and also their voices in combination. And then you take those two elements, their instruments, the the specific type of guitars the the amps they were playing through the way Ringo hit a drum that that made an, an instrumental sound when you combine those those four things then on top of that you layer the way their voices sounded together um and and it it produced something that you know I'm a I'm a fan so I would I would describe it as magical but it, it's 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 almost like the luck of the draw that it just so happened that that when you combine those those four people and the sounds they produced the total the sum total of it was this sound uh and it's and it's it's a texture and and it's vibrations and and i think a lot of it had to do with the way john lennon and paul mccartney's uh voices filled in one another's gaps uh john lennon's voice is more razor sharp uh, Paul McCartney's voice is more round and, and velvety, and and those things together formed a complete picture when you combined them, and and then the same with with John Lennon's rhythm guitar sound and George Harrison's guitar fills, and uh, Paul McCartney's picked Hofner bass sound uh, combined with with Ringo's Ludwig drums, you know, the, just all these things together made that sound and nothing else ever made that sound and, and still hasn't even though a lot of bands have been influenced by the beatles and 
have uh, attempted to pay homage to that and do things that would that you could describe as Beatlesque. But the but most bands when they do something Beatlesque, it 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 tends to boil down to like two or three sort of cliched elements that people have decided these are the things that sound like the Beatles. But the thing is, it was just the Beatles that sounded like the Beatles and any song that they played, no matter what the musical content was, sounded like those guys. It's the best way I can think to describe it. Do you know anything about what their relationship was like in the beginning? Very close because they, they, you know, had the, you know, a hard scrabble existence, uh, three years together before they had any kind of, uh, or more, uh, before they had any kind of commercial success. And, and they went to, uh, to, you know, Germany to get gigs and they were like uh, practically, uh, playing in brothels and, and, uh, and having to play nine hours a night and, and they were like, uh, you know, taking drugs to stay awake and they were, and they were, uh, uh, developing, uh, stagecraft, uh, you know, crazy things to do on stage to keep the audience's attention and to gain their favor. And, and they were like really almost like a punk band at that point. You know, they were, they were, they were wearing leather and, and they were rough and, and, uh, and, you know, living in squalor, uh, nothing like what came later when, when everything got cleaned up and they put on suits and ties and, and, uh, became everybody's darlings. Uh, so they, they went through a lot of really rough times together so that by the time they, they met a guy who wanted to manage them, who had industry contacts, who made the right phone calls and, and, you know, found the, the right record label and all this stuff. Uh, they had gone through all of this together and they were like ready to strike and, and make an impact. So it's almost because of that adversity in the beginning, they were able to formulate the ability to communicate with each other. They, they became a band during, during those years. And and they always said later that they were at their peak as a live band in those pre fame years, you know, like if they, what John Lennon said is that the sound that they generated as a, as a struggling band was incredibly powerful compared to later on when they couldn't even hear themselves on stage because of all the screaming and, and technologically that's always really astonishing to 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 watch videos of them in 1964 and 1965 uh, uh, essentially performing to a tsunami of 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 screaming young girls and that's an outrageous sound in and of itself and they had no you know back then what they called foldback monitors they didn't have any wedges they couldn't hear themselves (laughs) they were literally just like by you know from rote performing these songs and it's still incredibly uh, powerful and tight and together, you know, some gigs more than others, uh, but like there's a performance of them in 1964, right? The first time they came to the U S in Washington, DC and energy wise, it's like, it's like watching Nirvana or something. It's, it's like, it's, they're so raging and it sounds incredible and there's no monitors on stage. So it's, it's like a miracle. (laughs) (laughs) Did, did improvisation play into their work in the beginning? Uh, I imagine they, they, it did, uh, in the pre-fame days, uh, when they were playing in, uh, in clubs in Hamburg and they just, and they literally had to like do six sets a night and, uh, and, and do, you know, do something to keep themselves in the audience engaged. But once they got to the point where they were going on stage, uh, within their fame, um, the shows were very short, you know, back then a concert could be 20 minutes long. It was like a lightning strike, uh, and you know, and every aspect of it was highly choreographed. So, you know, even the you know the guitar solos were pretty much note for note what was on the record at that point. There was occasionally you would see something break out, like there's there's footage of them at Shea Stadium uh, in 1965, and they're playing a song called "I'm Down," and John Lennon is playing organ. And it's, it was the largest audience they'd ever played to. So the sound of the screaming was, was exponentially larger than it had ever been. And John Lennon just kind of breaks and starts playing the organ with his elbows and, and, and just going nuts. Um, but apparently that even that had to be overdubbed in the studio later because that the, the organ wasn't recorded properly. <laughs> so him going into this insane Sun Ra organ playing, even that is like a technological, uh, uh, 
smoke and mirrors situation because it's it, what you hear is not exactly what he played in the moment but still it's, you, you, there's no way to like a uh, play uh, a scored uh, organ part with your elbow so <laughs> so that was by, by necessity uh, improvised <laughs> in a sense it's it's intriguing that that improvisation is so often uh, attributed to technique on on the instrument or or um, as a painter or as a filmmaker but with that example it's 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 nice to extend the definition of improvisation to something like that so the definition yeah. of it is less about okay well the proficiency in the instrument uh on the instrument allows you to manifest your moment rather it's it's okay well how do you react to that moment instrumentationally exactly. aside so yeah, that was that, that was a, re a reflection of a of a genuine feeling that he had in this moment which is this is insane uh i i can't hear myself it, 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 we're we're just we're playing into a void but we we might as well enjoy ourselves while we're doing it it's fun because he's got a huge uh smile on his face while he's doing it george harrison is standing next to him cracking up while he's doing it you know it, it, it was it was a good release of tension but it, it is also a sound just like all music and and music is sound music isn't technique uh and so it, it it's like you it's what what that is what improvisation is is often just what what sound can i produce uh in order to maximize this moment to make the to make the most of what's happening on stage right now what the other musicians are playing uh what can i contribute to this and that can be one note it doesn't have to be anything that's that's uh technique oriented it's just about uh, um, i can feel I can feel a void in the in the universe right now that could only be filled by this sound that I'm imagining that I'm receiving and and what what can I do to execute that that note that sound you know I have two questions based on that one um the precursor to being able to articulate those moments requires uh, at least a modicum of technique and so the first question is how invested in technique were you prior to when you started working professionally? And second question would be, how do you listen to, well, let's get to that second one in a moment. So technique. Yeah, I was, I was always fascinated by it, but I, but I only had like a minimum of musical training. I never had guitar lessons. I had organ lessons as, as a, as a young guy, you know, from like nine to 14. Um, but at a certain point, I became fascinated because my first instrument was organ. I heard uh, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer when I was nine years old, and 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 the the, the technique that was required to execute, the, particularly this piece called Tarkus, was uh, was really fascinating to me. Uh, and I wanted to because I didn't know I didn't know that you were even allowed to play the organ like that. You know, it it, it, it sounded so nasty because he had this you know kind of overdriven percussive hammond sound um and then the stuff that he was writing and playing was was so uh compositionally uh, uh intense that that i i was like I, I wanted to decode it i wanted to figure out how to do it myself so even from a very early age i was like trying to push my technique and learn how to do certain things and then you know that led me to a bunch of other progressive rock that was that was very you know ostentatiously technique oriented and, and in order to learn how to, to play these things off the records which is what i was doing was like you know getting these records and teaching myself how to play the parts and then as, as obviously especially once i got into zappa and 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 his music was so phenomenally difficult to execute that it it was very important to me the technique thing you know, in in a way that it's fascinating to a lot of young players and teenagers when they're starting, they they're they're impressed by things that are hard to play, and they and they want to figure out how to do that. So it takes a certain amount of seasoning and time to realize that, yeah, but that's not really music. You need to move past the the uh, the stage of just wanting to impress people, and uh, and nowadays we're at a point where there's the, where the the talent of of players is is so wide and there are so many players out there that can execute unbelievable things on their instruments uh it's you know in a way that would have been uh unfathomable 50 years ago uh so you know that that's why at a certain point you you reach the stage of okay well so now i have this this 
this toolbox of things that I can do. What, how can I use these tools to you know create something that expresses something unique to myself that other people might get some, some use out of. Did you find with the work that you had put into learning how to be proficient at your instrument and learning the technical aspects of figuring out these, these complex compositions, did that integrate into your, into your musical spirit? Um, uh, did it, is the fabric of your being colored by that experience sort of from then on, or is it something that you have to maintain on a theoretical level? It doesn't, it doesn't require maintenance. If, if, if anything, it, it, it requires purging <laughs> because uh, the, the, uh, the, the stuff that I, that I hear in, in my head when I'm, uh, in, in a composition or recording mode tends to be a lot of, you know, crazy intricate stuff. And, 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 uh, I think sometimes it can be, it can be too much, uh, and, and maybe, you know, it's, it's interesting the, the, the thing of expressing yourself, some of it is it, you, you can be hiding from yourself maybe in the act of, of attempting to express yourself because of habits that, that you've fallen into or, or patterns. Um, and the, the main thing for me, whenever I'm, I'm recording or writing something is I want to try and just make something I've never heard before. And that could, that could mean anything. Uh, and it doesn't, and so it doesn't mean necessarily just like something I've never done before. It means literally something I've never heard anyone do. I'm, I'm looking for combinations of sounds that, that, that I just haven't experienced before. Um, and and that there's always a, a, a like a, a a variety of techniques that you might try in attempting to find that. Sometimes I'll I'll improvise onto a recording because improvisation uh, feels like a more direct conduit to to parts of myself than than taking the time to compose something. And then I'll decorate that improvisation with with you know harmonized overdubs uh, and uh, and you know reharmonizing reharmonizing with different chords to to recontextualize the the initial improvisation but you know i've done this a bunch uh so at at this point i'm thinking is this is this something i need to keep doing or is it time to you know like it, it feels like a good time uh because i as as you know when we were on the road last year i was spending all the, that time in the back of the bus you know, uh, working on music and, and, you know, with the headphones on, just like head banging back there, making all of this weird music. Um, and a lot of that stuff is decorated improvisation. And I, you know, and I love the way it sounds and it would, it would be very exciting to me. Um, but it also kind of feels like maybe that's, that's a, a, a good time to, to say, all right, that's, that's that approach. And then, and, and I, and when I move into the next stage of, of creating new music or creating is a, is a, is a, is a fraught word being a, being a part of the creation of new music, um, you know, an agent of creation. Uh, I, I would, I'd, I'd like to, uh, to explore new ways that I think are going to be more compositional, less Im improvisational, just because I feel like I've done that a lot even though you know there's still no there's still no uh substitute for true unfettered improvisation but but i you know part of me thinks that that's that's more suited for the stage like next next week i'm going into uh, i'm going to be going to the baked potato for a couple of nights with 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 my band beer for dolphins and i'm going to be you know playing a lot of guitar solos and i'm really excited about it because it's been a while since i've done just like those type of explorations I'll, on stage it's been almost a year since i played my own music on stage and i'm 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 feeling very ready <laughs> mike Keneally, the agent of creation <laughs> <laughs> so who was the first improviser that caught your ear after you're thinking emerson lake and palmer and beatles there's got to be one person you're like what the fuck is he doing and how is that happening that's well, it's interesting. Yeah. It's the, how is it happening? Uh, thing, because when, when I was very young and listening to records, I, I wasn't yet making the distinction between the composed parts of a song and the improvised parts of the song. It was all just music. Um, and, and 
the really great improvisers to me were ones who were who were making solos that sounded as just as much a, a crucial part of the composition as as anything that had been you know composed with forethought but i you know it's it's i, w- I wouldn't have known the answer to that question but the, the the first like at first i thought was it zappa and i don't think it was because the 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 aspects of frank that initially got to me weren't the guitar soloing because he didn't even really f- completely find himself as a soloist until around 1973 and uh and i had already been listening to him for for three years at that point and i so the, actually, when, when I think about it, there's a, a, a Dutch player named Jan Ackerman, who is, is the guitarist at, or was the guitarist for a band called Focus that I was really, really into. And, you know, it's, it's possible that you could say, well, uh, Jimi Hendrix had already made uh, an impression on me at that point. Jeff Beck had, had uh, I, I wouldn't even say that Beck made a, a strong impression until, until Blow by Blow in 75. So I think it might be very well be Jan Ackerman, particularly his playing on an album called Focus Three uh, that I heard when I was ten years old. And there are long guitar solos on there, and and he's conveying so much attitude through his technique. You know, he's he's really he's sputtering out these incredible strings of notes uh, and and doing articulations and sweeping and things that no other guitar player was doing in the same way he was. And it was all a a result of his attitude and his personality coming through the guitar. And I, and I, this was confirmed for me years later when I met him and did uh, an improvised night of music with him and, uh, and, and hung out with him and ate with him and got to know him and realized that he's, he was, he's like this very uh, constantly amused kind of smart ass, funny, uh, uh, suffers no fools kind of guy sort of reminds me of scott tunis in a way the dutch guitar playing scott tunis um and uh scott tunis is an excellent guitar player by the way uh that's a di- diversion but um he he conveyed something on those records that introduced me to a style of guitar playing that i had never heard before um I couldn't even say that that Keith Emerson had had made the same kind of impression on me as an improviser prior to that, because many of Keith's solos were were composed. So his Keith's uh, impact on me was as a composer and as a player, and Ackerman's uh, impact on me was was definitely as an improviser and a, and a, a commentator. Because a lot of the songs for that band were composed by the the keyboardist uh, Tess von Leer, and then Ackman would play his guitar over uh, von Leer's compositions, which were very Bach influenced and very stately and very lovely. And if you just played them as as he composed them, they would just sound like a recital. But then Ackman would just like spit all over them with this really kind of insolent. Uh, crazy guitar playing and his phrases. Uh, and so he was like making an impression on me personally through his playing. And he might've been the first improviser to do that. Here's a, here's a difficult question. I just would be interested in your, in your thoughts on it. It seems like a lot of the improvisers that we've talked about thus far are very confident personalities. They've got a very strong sense of self. Yeah. So in order to extrapolate somebody's um, personality and imbue that into an improvisational moment, is there any suggestions you could give to people to get out of their own way if their self-awareness is 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 constantly rooted in criticism? Mm. Um yeah, well, you you alluded to that earlier when when you said you know we were talking about something and you said well you you need to have like a, a, a sort of a base level of of technique in order to accomplish this. Uh, that what you just described is I think can only be a function of time, uh, it, and but also patience, um, because the the only uh, there, it's it's really rare you know some some personalities do i think emerge from the womb ready to 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 do that uh and just just you know pick up a guitar and, and all of a sudden you're like 
you know elvis presley uh in, in terms of j just like having uh zero insecurity you know apparently uh, and and just being extremely confident um but you know you do have to make sure that you have your chops together to a certain degree to in order to sort of imagine uh, uh you know the the type of musical statement that you want to make and then have that statement just come out so but, but because you could be you could exude tremendous self-confidence and but but then not back it up musically which which uh you know <laughs> people see through that and ultimately won't won't do you very good so i think you have to I th you know I think I, th I think humility uh, even while being super confident is very important uh, you know uh, you do have to you know, to a certain degree feel like uh, uh that that you are extremely capable and that's wonderful but I also think that that you're that there are many factors at play that made you that way uh that that don't all stem from yourself so you can't take full credit for whatever kind of player you are um and and so you just need to put the time in and and play for probably years and years unless you've been you know, blessed with the type of personality that is is just extremely you know confident and 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 then you could back that up with with the uh the whatever technique is required it's uh it, it's not easy and it's and you know for most people it's not something that you can start searching for from day one you you need to lay the groundwork as a player before you can start to get out of your own way which is is the the the, the single key thing um because when where are there where there are mistakes of execution or you know maybe long strings of uninspired playing it's it's usually because you have stopped yourself from tapping into the 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 magic that music can offer you know because i do feel like that music is always ready to to be served and to serve you no matter what the circumstances of a, of a gig might be you know it's you know maybe the maybe the monitors do suck maybe the audience is a bunch of assholes maybe you you are really mad at the bass player for you know whatever's going on there's still a way to tap into what music has to offer and what you can do to serve it. Um, and, and yeah, a certain amount of self-confidence is, is real crucial in those moments because the moment you really start to doubt yourself, that's when you trip over yourself. That's, that's when you, you know, you start thinking that you have to impress people and then your fingers trip over themselves and, and you kind of forget about what is really going on here, which is, there's an opportunity to create a, a, a musical moment that will never be repeated. And that musical moment could be very important to the people in the audience. It could be a, you could be creating a memory in that moment that will stay with, uh, with these people for a lifetime. Even if it's just one night out of 40 on a tour that you're doing, it's only one night for those people in the audience and, and that'll never happen again. So it's, it is sort of a, an important responsibility to be there for that. When we look at the problem of, or the problem of getting out of your own way based on insecurity or, or self-deprecating ways, that's one thing. But what if the problem is as an agent of creation or as someone who's participating in that flow of musical ideas, the fascination of listening to it in the moment uh, is what trips you up. Ah, I, I, I really try to like when I'm, when I'm playing, uh, with you on stage and we've got our in-ears dialed in and I've got your guitar on the left and my guitar on the right. So that I'm, it, it's, it's much easier to lock and, and I'm hearing what everybody else is doing and all the, all the sounds that are flying around. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of being a, a, a producer as much as a player in those moments and you know and a, and a like a record producer whose job it is to hear a song and and figure out what does that song need to to flourish so that's that's what i'm when i hear this stuff you know really nicely situated in my head 
and I'm and I'm a part of it. That that's when very uh, subtle variations in tech in uh, articulation can have a, a big impact in and how well that that song is coming across. Like I'll, I'll find because I I hear myself so well in my ears that if I move my pick just a little bit on the string, it'll it'll change the the texture of the sound so much that that to me all of a sudden things just feel so much tighter and and so much uh you know, texturally cooler and when i'm really locked into that I, I i think even though it's nothing that anybody in the audience could identify oh the the second guitar player just moved his pick a little bit it 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 helps that the the sound of the music come across in a way that is effective and I, I and I have I I it's it's not a scientific study, but I did notice that on, that on nights where I seemed particularly locked into that that you know that reality that there 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 seemed to be a, a more of a of a an acknowledgement after the show, or I would see things online that people would would it just seemed like that there was something that happened that night. And I'm not saying that I was responsible for it. I'm, 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 and I'm, and I have a feeling because the other other guys in the band would would also say, "Wow, something just really happened there." And I, and I think that there are some nights where everybody's just you know more locked into that, more into the the simultaneous creation. You know, where we're we're not just you know four four people on a stage. We do we together we comprise this this organism. And some nights that those four components really lock in in a, in a special way and the uh and the audience can feel that it's kinetic i, I guess that. in a sense sure yeah I, uh -huh. I it made me wonder um there must have been a point in your career where you had a lesson in what it means to truly listen because i think there's there's a lesson uh that would involve that that technique that that a lot of people just don't have the opportunity to learn either it, it wasn't thrust upon them or they were managing to structure their career so that they never had to they never had to participate in being told anything but was there a moment in your career where you remember oh this serves me well to shut up right now or this serves me well to let this play out so then i can have an informed decision that i contribute to this i think and it's 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 funny because I I uh, I resisted in ears for for a really long time because I thought that it was it was going to shut me off from the energy in the room, but you know five five years ago is when I finally I had no choice but to start using in ears because I was on a tour that had stuff you know that involved clicks and pre recorded tracks and stuff, and so there the, the, obviously you can't have that stuff. You can't have a click playing through your wedge because the audience will hear it. So in ears became a necessity. And I realized that I, I was being, you know, like the whole time I was in death clock, uh, the, 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 the guys at the, at front of house were, were trying to, to get me to move to in ears and I, and I just wouldn't do it. But then once I started doing it and then obviously once I started playing with you and, and it, and it became a necessity to use them, I feel like in some ways I, I realized how much I wasn't hearing uh, prior to that. Um, because now I could really hear everything that was happening on stage. Uh, so that was, that was, a, a, a step, a big step forward, but I think I was, I was already, um, I was, I was already more keyed into the, uh, sometime probably, I, I, I would, I would probably say sometime in the late two thousands, uh, th from playing, um, more with, with my band, uh, I started to consciously become aware of myself as as a as as a cog rather than as the guy you know like there are there are are uh our performances that I did in the 90s where I was like so suffused with uh with energy and and passion and and feeling sort of uh like uh touched uh by the divine that I would get uh, so into my own trip that I thought it was, you know, positively impacting the performance emotionally. But then, you know, years later, I would see some of these performances and, and be fairly horrified by how I was like 
running roughshod over the music rather than than helping it to be all it could be and and because i wasn't calm at all i was i was like too enervated i was i was too filled with with some kind of spirit that i thought was a divine spirit but you know might have been just the opposite because it wasn't it wasn't helping matters uh at least from my current perspective i don't i don't think it made the music better it was like it was especially negatively impacting my vocal performances which uh which i think did me some harm because it it it, uh, i people don't tend to think of me as a vocalist and i think it's because you know i did spend a number of years just going out there not focusing enough on it uh you know feeling like as well as long as i'm i'm playing guitar okay i can just do whatever vocally and it'll be fine but i was i wasn't i wasn't serving the songs properly that way so now I'm, I'm I take that a lot more seriously, but I I, I think I, I you know I realized at a certain point, man, listen to what the rest of the band are playing. It's so good. Uh, if I I really can, uh, you know, calm down. I really can play less. I can, and I can find that that you know that kernel of 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 calmness within myself, and I can still play crazy stuff. But the, but the more calm that I am internally, the more effective the crazy stuff is um and i've really learned uh like gone a step further uh from from playing with you uh particularly in the importance of of laying back how how powerful things sound when you're not constantly on top of the beat you know rushing forward which is real easy to do when you're feeling passionate and feeling feeling like you're uh in the throes of some kind of discovery which is when when you deal with music improvisationally, as I frequently do with my own music, you know, on stage, I always view my own songs as a blueprint as opposed to something to be executed precisely the same way every time. It excites me to have to use a song as as a as a, a, a springboard for something different every time I play it. But within that, there's there's this uh I have to constantly be aware of the fact that that the excitement in that can can lead you to rush and that doesn't that doesn't help the song come off you know it's 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 when you when you lay back and we i you know, we, we really felt this last year with with james and darby that when the when the when the four of us you know simultaneously did this thing where we just like pulled back it just made it sound gargantuan you know it, it was really a nice thing Next question, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna say it, and then just whatever comes to mind. Frank Zappa. Yeah, um, I he had such a, an impact on my on my life, uh, even before I ever met him or played with him, and I was I was fascinated by his humor. I was fascinated by his his uh, his attitude, uh, his uh, his bloody mindedness. His you know his his individualism and individuality the fact that there was nothing else like him i i loved the fact that he uh seemed to be unimpressed by everything <laughs> and 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 that that manifested in a, in a, a you know a, a lyrical attitude that was frequently very uh, funny and, and and for me very entertaining and I also really was delighted by the conceptual aspects of his work, whereby he he tied everything together. Uh, you know, like he he said, it's somebody asked him in an interview once about you know how what he thought of of his body of work, and he said it's all one album. You know, he could he could take a razor blade and cut it up and and rechange the order of everything, and it, he it would still result in in a, you know a series of coherent pieces of work. And he tied things together uh, conceptually from album to album with little snatches of music or little snatches of lyric or lyrical concepts that would be repeated from album to album, and you could plot you know what he called conceptual continuity uh, over the the you know, course of years, and and that was sort of like being a part of a secret club uh where where you would like you would find these little references and, and be able to piece all of these these works together and that was was fascinating to me and 
and and I loved the sound of his music and I loved trying to figure it out and trying to learn how to play it. Um, but then as, as time goes on, I realized there were, there were aspects of it that had such a strong hold on me. You know, there was a certain you know, negativity uh, to a lot of it. And there was a certain cynicism to, to, you know, and, and he was proudly cynical. He, he thought that it was insane to not be cynical. And, uh, and, you know, and especially after, I continued, you know, working through the, through, uh, you know, the first half of the nineties when I was in, in Dweezil's band and it, you know, Frank did an album called them or us. And, and it's, that was sort of like an us against the world, uh, mindset that was really had a, a stronghold in, in that band, uh, as we traveled across the world. And it really did kind of feel like we were, you know, we, we wanted to entertain audiences, but it also kind of felt like we were um it was, it was like it was almost like an, an ongoing argument with the world um and 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 i and i think that 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 you know the older i get the less useful that that has has become for me even though there's you know there's all sorts of reasons to be to be cynical um uh it's it it didn't feel like there was a useful energy for for me to be propagating anymore i didn't i didn't feel that i needed to be a part of that energy whereas you know in the in the 90s uh, it it i really loved the the anti-entertainment aspect of of that you know like i was always a big andy kaufman fan i i, I loved the the uh the the thing of 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 just challenging an audience to to a point where it it, it there was there was there was in the in the Dweezil band we had this medley of songs from the seventies two hundred songs from the seventies that would have little moments of improvisation so that at its shortest it was about a half hour long at its longest it could be like forty five minutes or more and you could see the audience being with it for a while and then at a certain point you could see them drifting away and then you could see them locking back in and then you could see them like approach this state of of like satori where you know simultaneously everybody would would would, would kind of levitate um it it, it was it it was to me a, a really valuable artistic thing where we really pushed the limits of what you could get away with on stage um but then at other times it just felt like a bunch of private jokes and and i and i think that there's a, a, a kind of immaturity to that where where you're not you're not allowing your audience to be a part of it with you it, it's it's sort of like we're we're in this club and you're not and that's i don't think that's very cool especially when somebody's paid for a ticket so i i, I think it, it i'm much more into the idea in maybe a kind of a a hippie-ish way of uh of the fact that that the that the audience is really still is just as an, an just as important a part of the performance as as the people on stage and and it's 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 you know we're all trying to create something together here and it's uh it's an energy and it's an experience and and it only happens this one time i'm going to give you uh one more question that i would uh i would like to Proposed from the point of view of maybe somebody who is 18 year old guitar player, keyboard player, uh, somebody who's just getting into it has the, the, the baseline of technique. They've kind of established the proficiency to be able to articulate things that they're looking to represent sonically or modally. And I guess there's the freedom to foster the type of freedom that, that would almost most poignantly come into play when you're th losing an audience, like you just said. So say you're in the middle of something and you recognize the audience is going away, but you also know there's another 15 minutes of this. You've decided as a band that this track is, is, is where you're at and you're looking out and you're like, Oh my God, I'm losing them. Uh, my typical reaction to that, uh, is to be really aware of it and 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 insecure about it so if i start to lose them i i lose sight of the intent of the music that i'm trying to perform and i become predisposed with the awareness of oh where are they going oh my god this is me oh you know i'm and all the the insecurity starts coming back i never got the impression that that's 
you. It's it's and not that you don't care, but you just seem to be focused on the music. And how the heck do you do that? Um I I I I am I'm very much focused on the music and I'd like to think that I'm not immune to what's going on in the audience, although I know that there are times where it's impossible to be everywhere at once. And I, and, and, you know, it's, it's, it, we're all humans and we're, we're all really freaking flawed. So we're not always, you know, like super tapped into everything that's, that's happening in the room. But I, I do think my, my, my best chance of, of serving the audience properly is, is to serve the music. That's, that's what the audience is going to respond to. They're not going to respond to me, to me pandering to them. Uh, they're, they're going to re respond to me ex executing and, and, and serving the music as best I can. So if I'm in the middle of a, of a lengthy piece and I think that, that the audience is, is, uh, is, is somewhere else, um, I'm probably in the moment I'm going to think, okay, this is, this is as a, a result of, of some faulty execution on my part. It, it, it might even be that I was wrong about, about that night's set list uh, because pretty much every performance I do is, is, is a, uh, is a different set list. And, and that there, there's a real risk to that because it, it doesn't give you the opportunity to, 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 to fine tune a, a, a series of songs. Well, the problem is when I'm, when I'm going out and playing my own music, the, the budget isn't there to do a long tour and to, and to, you know, fine tune a, a set over the, over the period of time. So it's all experimentation. Some nights you, you might not get it right in terms of the flow of, of, of music from one song to the next. So if I'm in the middle of a song and I feel like I've lost the audience, there's, there's two things that, that, that could happen. I could just go, well, I'm just going to finish this song and hope that the next one gets them. <laughs> and that's okay. Cause not every, it, it's okay for a, a set to have peaks and valleys. It's almost essential for a set to have peaks and valleys. Cause otherwise it's just uh, like one monolithic brick of stuff. Um, and, and, uh, or the, the other option is, okay, well, what can I do with, with my, with my performance now to, uh, to, to turn the tide and in, and in almost every case, the, the better option is to do less rather than more. Uh, you know, maybe literally just take my hands off the instrument and look at the audience and reconnect, you know, just do something shocking to, to change the channel right there because it, it's, it's like, okay, what, what's happening right now, this, this, it, and it's probably some, some flurry of craziness that, that, you know, left the audience behind at the last intersection is like, is like, you know, doubling down at, at, at that point, isn't necessarily going to get anything back, any, anybody back as much as changing it up radically will. Uh, so I, I, I think that that would be my, you know, it's, you can't say with certainty because every circumstance is different and, and comes with its own set of parameters and rules. But, you know, answering sitting here right now, my question would be to just like stop playing. <laughs> Maybe, you know, look at, at Joe Travers and make him do something on the drums that will blow everybody's mind. You know, it, it, it's it, it's because that, that that's kind of where where I go, because my music is so much me. That that I would I would I would think oh maybe everybody just needs a little less of me right now this you know there's there's time in in a show for plenty of me it doesn't have to be me 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 all the time so uh, that, that I think that would that would be uh, you know in a word subtract some me at that moment <laughs> oh my god buddy that's that's uh, you know I I've I've tried to define uh, why I I love you so much to people throughout the the past few years. And you may have just summarized it there. There's very <laughs> few people that are willing to have that as their first course of action. Most people <laughs> are like, oh, if you if you don't if you don't like this, it just means that yeah, you know, like you say, you're going to double down. Here's right, 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 squared, right. Yeah, right. I'm going to force this down your throat until you do like it. Well, that's not <laughs> a very it's not a very friendly thing to do, you know. Well, yeah, and I guess the assumption <laughs> is flawed from the beginning too. It's like no, they clearly 
can't be that they don't like me. It's just that there's got to be more of me. There's just not enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, they did your names on the, on the ticket. You know, so they, they do like you. They did, they did, you know, pay their money to come see you and what you do. Yeah. But, but especially in statistically dense music, it's it, everybody can, can hit a, a point of overload, you know? And, and it's, it's, I just, I just think it, and artistically, it also makes sense to, to pull back sometimes, allow those shafts of sunlight in, you know, changes of texture, changes of mood, uh, changes of density. It's, it's, it's really important. And that's, I think that's what makes most people, you know, respond to music. When, when music gets too statistically dense, most people just can't even comprehend it. You know, they just turn off. It's interesting. I think uh, a lot of the foundation for reasoning behind people wanting to get on stage, not everybody, of course, but a lot of us, is maybe some sort of fundamental lack from the beginning. And so it's trying to fill that void, trying to find a sense of, of I'm worthy, or I'm capable, or, or I'm, I, I have the capacity to be around these people whom I uh, value and, and admire. And in those moments, it's it's obvious why a lot of people would default to, well, then it just needs more me. If they don't right. like me right now, then then it's almost like the panic button gets hit. Sure. And, 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 and but yeah, what what you need is actually the the self-confidence to realize, no, clearly these people like me or they wouldn't be here. I don't need to prove anything to my to myself or to them. You know, all I need to do once again, I, I serve the audience by serving the music. So, you know, if, if you, if you go into some panicked flurry of notes, that is, I think almost by definition coming from a place from that, that's other than how do I best serve this piece of music right now? That That's, it's literally pushing the panic button and that's, you know, um, unless you're in wartime conditions, it, it's, it, that's never the right thing to do, you know? Panicking uh, doesn't ever sound like the answer, the right answer to a question. But what should we do right now? I know. Let's panic. But 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 you you do have a choice to just stop, even if you're feeling panic. If you if you just like stop playing for a second, you 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 give yourself the opportunity to allow that panic to subside. And I understand that if you're playing a composed piece of music, you can't, you know, just like stop executing your part. You've got a job to do, but if you're in, in, in an improvisational moment, that's the perfect opportunity to stop. It's, it, it's, it's, it's almost like your duty. Nobody wants to improvise with a guy who never stops playing. That sucks. You know, it, it, it's like you, you, it's, you need by definition, you need to allow the other players on stage, the, the room to, to make their statements, to, to, to serve the music in their own way. Uh, and that's, 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 that's part of your job as well. That's an, an important part of playing is sometimes not playing. That may be one of the most valuable pieces of advice. I think people could possibly hear. Although when we just say it out loud, it's hilarious. It's like, yeah, Mike Keneally says his biggest uh, piece of inspiring advice is just stop playing. Stop playing. Just stop. <laughs> just stop. <laughs> just, you're good. Just go home, man. <laughs> Brother, well, I, mean, I, uh, yeah, I, that's, I, that's I, a Miles Davis thing too. It's the it's the space between the notes as much as the notes. You know? I love you so much, man, and I appreciate so much appreciate you taking it. the time to do this, and I can't wait to see you again and. Uh, uh, all my love and continue being the beacon of brilliance, the agent of creation that uh, helps people because you are you have the self-confidence and the calmness to get out of the way of people. And, <laughs> and going back to one of the first things you said, which I think is a great way to summarize what I've heard from you today is it's when you listen to music, if you love music, if you started with a moment of inspiration somewhere in your life that put into your soul a love of sound, then perhaps one of the greatest things you can do in an improvisational scenario is it's less about thinking what you can contribute to it technique-wise and more about what does this need right now. That's it. That's 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 all of it. It's what 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 is what sound does this moment require to to be all it can be? Uh, and, and 
sometimes it's a sound that some other guy in the band is going to make, not you, you know, but it could also be something you do. It's, 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 it's a series of, of moments of assessing that over and over and over again. And it's great fun. You know, it's, 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 it's like a, a wonderful strategic intuitive game while it's happening and it's playing, you know, it's, you're playing music. Brother. I love you. I'll see you I'll soon. Okay. okay. All right. See ya. Bye. 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 The tools that make this podcast possible provided by Roswell microphones and X five.